Bunny Bunny. It's like a dream come true. It's like living a dream. Hi, honey. Well, I mean, it's not funny. But I mean, it, it, it does beg the question, what has gone wrong with young Hollywood? Honest to God, what is the problem? Hello and welcome to Season 5 of Lay Do You Remember This, where we look back on all the stories from Hollywood's best worst decade, the early 2000s, a time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. As always, I'm your host, Dara Lane. In our last storytelling episode, we said hello to an 18-year-old Kendra Wilkinson and a bitter goodbye to the remaining three mean girls that Holly and Bridget hated so much. But before they trotted into the smoggy LA sunset in their Aldo heels, they took one last parting shot. According to Isabella St. James's book, after it was decided that she'd be moving out, she joined Hef and the other girls for one last club night on the town. She squeezed into the limo next to Hef, and as they drove into West Hollywood, I assume the night was bittersweet. They surely reminisced over the romance they once had. All the hellos they exchanged when they passed each other in the hallway, the tender orgies. But alas, theirs was a love that was not long for this world. When they got to the club, Isabella noticed that Bridget was sulking on the banquette and then suddenly began to cry. When she asked another girl what was wrong with Bridget, she replied that she was upset that Isabella had sat next to Hef in the limo instead of her. Here's how Isabella describes the scene in her book. Are you really crying because I sat next to Hef in the limo? That is really pathetic. I'm leaving. You can sit next to him for the rest of your sorry life. This isn't about you. You really need to take your medication. I suddenly remembered that she used to take meds. All she could say in reply was, I don't take any medication. That's the problem. You should start taking your meds again, you psycho bitch. I walked away and saw her immediately run to Hef to complain. I saw his face fill with anger and his eyes found me across the dance floor. He came over to Susan and me and grabbed our arms and started shaking us. I've had enough of this shit. You always choose their side. You are both going home right now. You can go home, Hef. We're staying. So Isabella and Susan left the bottle service table and danced among the gen pop, something they were never allowed to do when they were out with Hef. When they got back to the mansion, Isabella packed her things until the wee hours of the morning, and then she left for good. To an outsider, it's hard to believe that Bridget or anyone else could get so worked up over seating placement in a limo. But as Holly says in a recent video on her YouTube channel, seat geography played a big role in mansion culture. You guys, the seating at the mansion was the most political thing. Like, I don't even know how to explain it to you in a way that you would like understand like how petty people got about it. And how, and I'm not just talking about like with the girlfriends, but how petty people got about it and how important it was. Like I'm looking at a shot of the living room 
on movie night and there were two leather couches and like Hef and his girlfriends would sit on the front one and then the back one would be like Hef's brother and then a couple other close friends of his and then in the front there were like these pillows people would lay down on the floor on these pillows and people have their spots and if you took somebody's spot mm -mm. like people would get pissed like it reminds me of like when people talk about like if you've ever seen the movie Marie Antoinette they talk about like the court of Versailles and how everybody had their spot and their rank and that's how it was like it was serious business. Details like that make me think that being the new girl at the mansion probably felt a lot like a stress dream where you're the understudy in a show who has to go on for the lead but you forgot to learn the part. You don't know the blocking, so all you can do is stumble around, hoping that the audience can't see that you're not wearing panties under your extremely short dress. I mean, no one else is wearing panties because their dresses are too tight, but it's one more thing to be anxious about on top of not knowing your lines and the teeth floating in your soup. Don't worry, you're not losing your teeth. One of Hef's friends laughed too hard and his dentures flew out of his mouth and into your minestrone. And baby, that's just another matinee at the mansion. Everyone in the Playboy world was a marionette in the puppetry of the penis show that Hef called life. Now that Kendra had been cast in the ingenue role, she would have to perform in one of Hef's favorite numbers, a pas de deux, where he'd use the youngest girlfriend to make the number one girlfriend feel jealous and insecure. I'd actually been warned by one of the other women that he liked to play people off of each other. She said he always played whoever the main girlfriend was against whoever, like, the youngest, cutest girlfriend was. That's Holly in an interview with Tara Pale Mary on her podcast, Power. This, this is when I was brand new, like, within a week of being there. I didn't really want to believe it because I was young enough that I didn't really understand that everything in life has a duality and things aren't just cut and dry, black and white. And I saw Hef as somebody that I really looked up to. He was this really successful, intelligent man. And why would anybody who's that old and accomplished and successful and able to pull all these women, why would he be that petty? That didn't make any sense to me. And of course, over the years of getting to know him, I know that he's just as insecure as anyone else, despite his status. And for him, that's what makes him feel important is to have all these young women that he feels like are fighting over him, even though it's all false because he creates the competition and he creates the fight. But that's what makes him feel special and what feeds his ego. One instance of how Hef played Kendra against Holly occurred during one club night when Kendra had first moved in. She'd just come downstairs to the great room, all dolled up and ready to go out. But when Holly and Bridget got a look at her, they both instantly clenched. Kendra was wearing bright, cherry red lipstick. As we know from previous episodes, Hef abhorred that shade, and there was an unwritten rule never to wear it. And apparently an unspoken one, too, because just like no one warned Holly that she'd be getting a brow beating if she wore red lipstick, Holly and Bridget didn't bother telling Kendra either. But this time, the brow beating never came. Hef beckoned Kendra over to him to get a better look at her as the veteran girlfriends looked down at their feet, bracing themselves for Hef's tantrum. Why, that red lipstick looks absolutely wonderful on you, Kendra. Hef said, according to Holly's memoir. You look like you just stepped out of a 1940s movie. Holly knew that this was a pointed slight against her. She tried to rationalize with herself that Hef didn't remember the time he told her red lipstick made her look old, hard, and cheap. But another playmate that was going out with them for the evening gave her a reality check. Of course he remembered. Hef was calculated and never forgot a thing. 
Even if Hef hadn't meddled, minor discord between the three women was probably unavoidable considering how different they were from each other. When it came to their tastes, interests, and outlooks on life, Kendra had nothing in common with Holly and Bridget. They were Disney adults who liked to go to Renaissance fairs. She was into sports and hip-hop. They spent their money on elaborate costumes from trashy lingerie, and Kendra bought a custom grill for her teeth. Holly and Bridget revered all things Playboy, and Kendra refused to wear the classic bunny outfit. Cannot do it. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. I can wear it. Okay. <laughs> Getting in a bunny suit? I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's just, if you're going to be miserable in that thing, then why do it? I'm definitely going to go down, but I just, I, not the whole bunny thing. All right. No worries. <laughs> If you don't want to wear it and you aren't really excited about the outfit, fine, you shouldn't wear it because it won't be special. I'm so excited about the bunny costume and I think Holly feels the same way. We feel like it's such a privilege and such an honor. It's really weird and strange to us to see somebody who's not really interested. If they made a bunny and they put like made a jersey bunny, like a sporty bunny. <gasps> don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I just thought of that. <laughs> Holly and Bridget merely coexisted with Kendra, and that dynamic even carried into the bedroom. Kendra would often hook up with new playmates that were joining them for the orgies, but as she says in her memoir, she never did anything with Holly or Bridget. Despite their differences, though, life at the mansion became a little more manageable when Kendra arrived, and soon the girls would have a commonality that would link them to each other forever. In 1998, Hef was the subject of an episode of A&E Biography, which was produced and directed by Kevin Burns. In 2004, A&E approached Kevin about creating a new reality show with Hef that would build off the success of their show Growing Up Gotti, which followed Victoria, the daughter of mob boss John Gotti, and her sons. Similarly, Growing Up Hefner would center around Hef and his two young sons, who lived across the street with his ex-wife Kimberly Conrad. Growing up Hefner eventually evolved into Hef's World, which would focus on Hef and his staff as a sort of send-up of the 1970s fictional British show Upstairs Downstairs. Imagine, if you will, an alternative timeline where Brian, guest services manager, was the star of the show. My name is Brian Allaire. I am the guest services assistant manager, which pertains to overlooking the butler staff, housekeeping staff, uh, laundry staff. We have 24-hour service here, seven days a week. I've been here almost eight years. I know how Mr. Hefner likes things going on here. Or what about Hank, our main man of maintenance and construction? Hi there, I'm Hank. I oversee the uh, gardening and the uh, animal department. I also fix Mr. Hefner's toilet litter breaks. Imagine if we only saw Holly, Bridget, and Kendra for a minute while they tested out the slip and slide that we watched Hank painstakingly build for 22 minutes. That is not a show that runs for six seasons. While Brian, Hank, and the rest of the staff's screen time would be drastically cut down, one Playboy employee would still become a prominent and beloved member of the cast. Of course, that's Mary O'Connor. Hef's longtime secretary and the confidant and mother figure to many girlfriends who passed through the mansion. As we saw on the show, Mary was a salty broad. Born in Chicago in 1928, she grew up in Indiana, and in 1953, she was inspired to move to Los Angeles because of her aunt who worked as a screenwriter. 
Mary was working in Long Beach on the board of a hospitality magazine when a colleague recommended her for an open position as a house manager for the Playboy Mansion in Chicago. She got the job and in 1969 began working for Hef, which she would continue to do up until the week before she died. Mary had four different husbands, but finally found the love of her life with lucky number five in 1982 when she met Captain Bob. Mary, how did you and Captain Bob meet? A girl from um, the Playboy Mansion in Chicago came out, and then she went to work on the boats, and she ended up on Captain Bob's boat. And I said, is there a single sea captain around someplace? I mean, I wanted a sea captain. I didn't want just anybody to work on the boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. So this sea captain called me up said, will you meet me for dinner? Sure. But you made out the first night? Yeah. No, we made out kissing, but not fucking. No! <laughs> we were in a car. And I was too old to do it in a car anymore. <laughs> you were too old to make out in a car? No, I'm never too old to make out. Oh. <laughs> Good to know. Kevin Burns actually shot a pilot presentation for Hef's World, which you can watch in its entirety on my Patreon page. But A&E ended up passing on the show. He then brought the pilot presentation to the E-Network, who are interested in greenlighting it, but with one caveat. Lisa Berger, the senior VP of development, wanted to shift the focus from the point of view of the staff to that of the girlfriends, who are featured in the pilot presentation, planning a birthday party for Bridget. I want to know those girls, Lisa said. I want to see the world through their eyes. This is Alice in Wonderland, and I want to see Wonderland through Alice. So Hef's world became The Girls Next Door. The title was an obvious choice because since the beginning of the magazine, The Girl Next Door was the counterpart to the Playboy archetype. And in the same way that the Playboy was modeled after Hef, or at least who Hef aspired to be, The Girl Next Door was inspired by a real woman, as Hef explains on David Letterman in 1985. Uh, tell me about the first, uh, the first woman to appear uh, nude in here. Well, the very first Playmate, but in the very beginning, the first, uh, for the first year, the uh, Playmates were calendar pictures. Mm-hmm. The very first one was Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was, all, but wasn't there also uh, one of your employees working? In the second year, our subscription fulfillment, uh, (laughs) our lady in charge of subscription fulfillment Uh was named uh, Janet Pilgrim, Mm -hmm. and she uh, agreed uh, in return for a piece of uh, subscription fulfillment uh, equipment to pose in the magazine, (laughs) and that was quite literally... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) That was the beginning of the girl next door. You you approached this woman, where was this, back in Chicago? Yes. And and probably a very nice woman from a nice Midwestern upbringing. Yes. You said, you take off your clothes, we'll give you a mimeograph machine or something like that? In effect. A a postage meter or something like that? Mm Yes. In season five, episode 11 of The Girls Next Door, they actually mentioned Janet, but they left out the whole part about coercing an employee with office supplies, because even by early 2000s standards, that story wasn't as cute as Hef thought it was. The concept of The Girl Next Door was all about creating a fantasy for men, that inside every Madonna was a little whore and the potential for sex was all around. An excerpt from the article accompanying Janet Pilgrim's Playboy pictorial said, quote, We suppose it's natural to think of the Playmates as existing a world apart. Actually, potential Playmates are all around you. The new secretary at your office, 
The doe-eyed beauty who sat opposite you at lunch yesterday. The girl who sells you shirts and ties at your favorite store. We found Miss July in our circulation department. The Janet Pilgrim spread was a huge hit with readers, and from then on, Playboy stuck with the girl-next-door ideal, even as competing magazines like Hustler and Penthouse pushed boundaries by publishing more overtly pornographic photos. The kind of men who read Playboy definitely did not want to look at pictures of girls who were sexy, who knew it all, who said wisecracks like, are you in, or have you finished? Journalist Russell Miller said in his book, Bunny, The Real Story of Playboy. That was too much like real life, too intimidating. The attraction of the playmate was the absence of threat. Playmates were nice, clean girls. There was nothing to be feared from seducing them. Afterwards, they would no doubt admit, with shining eyes, that it was wonderful. That sort of 100% compliant attitude was what Hef required from his girlfriends, so it didn't matter much to him that Holly, Bridget, and Kendra each had their own reservations about doing the show. It was simply expected that everyone at the mansion would participate, and if they didn't want to, they could leave. You'd think this opportunity would be exactly what the girls had always wanted, but they worried about how the public would receive them, as Kendra describes in an interview with Heather McDonald on her podcast, Juicy Scoop. Uh, I'm not, my initial reaction to this was like, Hell no. And at this time, how old are you now at this time? I was 19 at the time. Oh, you were only 19. Yeah. But I, but I, I like. Why were you like, hell no? Because I'm like, oh my God, just, I'm I'm living. I made my choices. I'm having a great time with them. Um, But then I instantly, when, when, when we were um, approached with the show, I instantly knew what the public was going to be doing to us and and portraying us i was like okay like i'm living a more private way and i'm like enjoying my life and and things are going good and i'm even like thinking about going i was going to school i was even thinking about getting my real estate license and things like that and life was just simple and good and 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 um i instantly knew i'm like shit i'm gonna be known as a full-blown hooker here and um, and am I ready for that? Am I ready for like the world to like um, know or think that I'm a certain way when I'm just an, just a just a, a simple person? And the anxiety Holly felt over being on a reality show plunged her into a depression, and she eventually started experiencing suicidal ideation. She kept it to herself as long as she could until one day she finally confided in Hef that she needed help. Hef, of course, refused to let her see a therapist because he knew they would just tell her to leave him. So instead, he allowed her to see a psychiatrist of his choosing that would prescribe her antidepressants. The meds did enough to take the edge off the circumstances of her life as a powerless concubine, and thank God it did, because little did she know, stardom was imminent. As the concept of the girls next door began to take shape, a few concrete aspects had been decided. Hef had mandated that his show would be drama-free. No bickering between the blondes, no lover spats between himself and any of his girlfriends. Hef had spent decades pushing the image that the Playboy Mansion was a Shangri-La, an oasis away from the problems of the outside world. 
catty infighting would burst that bubble, so the show would be purely feel-good and aspirational. The next decision made by Hef and the producers were the three personas they ascribed to Holly, Bridget, and Kendra. Like the Spice Girls, they would all have their thing. Kendra was the wild one who liked sports, Bridget was the smart one who wanted a career, and Holly was devoted to Hef. From the beginning, all three women hated being reduced down to mere caricatures of themselves, especially because if another girl had overlapping interests that weren't assigned to her persona, the producers wouldn't show it. Holly talks about this in her YouTube series recapping The Girls Next Door. In one episode, Kendra competes in a tennis tournament that Bridget was excited to participate in as well. But because Kendra was the sporty one, Bridget wasn't allowed to do it. Holly goes on to say that Bridget was actually particularly athletic, but they never allowed that to really be shown. The third stipulation came from the three stars and was one of the few demands they made that was actually honored. In the beginning of filming, the producers told them they wanted to shoot some of the action that happened in Hef's room after club nights. When I heard that, I was pissed, Kendra says in her memoir, Sliding Into Home. There was no way they were filming me in there or even walking in that room implying that anything was going to happen. I was prepared to take a stand. Holly, Bridget, and I talked it over even though we weren't very close at the time. We knew we would have to stick together on this issue or we would get pushed around. I started getting aggressive about it and really rallied the girls into fighting for our privacy. Eventually, we agreed that our personal lives, which obviously included nights with Hef, should remain personal and we wouldn't be filmed anywhere near the room. We went to Hef and he agreed and told the producers it wasn't going to happen. Now, of course, we see plenty of scenes over the course of the series with the girls not only in Hef's room, but in bed with him. However, those scenes always have a very familial vibe to them, like Hef and Holly are an elderly, sexless couple, and Kendra and Bridget are their two daughters climbing into bed with them during a thunderstorm. When it comes to discussing the sexual aspects of their relationship, it's all innuendo, delivered with a wink, leading viewers to think it was all just an act. It seems kind of surprising that Hef would allow the question of sex with his girlfriends to be somewhat ambiguous, considering how important it was to him to come off as a stud. In the end, though, I think it was an important decision for the show's success. Had audiences been explicitly confronted with the reality of what this arrangement entailed, I can't imagine that the show would run longer than a season or two. It would merely be a curious oddity for people to gawk at for a few episodes, but would ultimately turn off the core devoted audience they ended up attracting. Adolescent Girls By this point, the magazine and the brand itself could exist separately from each other. Playboy magazine was still for men, but the rising accessibility of internet porn was making the need for a subscription obsolete. So Playboy once again pivoted and reinvented itself by selling merchandise that created brand awareness for the next generation. Teenagers associated the bunny branding with tanning bed stickers, rhinestone necklaces, and pink pillows. They knew, of course, that Playboy was a nude magazine, but that added a naughty connotation to the wearer of the merchandise, making it all the more enticing to girls flirting with their burgeoning sexuality. Because many viewers didn't have a full understanding of the magazine or Hugh Hefner, and because they weren't explicit in explaining the mechanics of the four-way relationship, kids were free to enjoy the cartoonishness of the show. The silly sound effects, bright colors, and animal birthday parties distracted from the darker underbelly that you can't help but notice rewatching as an adult. 
The first season was only meant to be eight episodes, but after the premiere, E upped the order to 15. The show was an overnight success, just as the network knew it would be. Holly, Bridget, and Kendra, of course, didn't know that everyone expected The Girls Next Door to be a huge hit, but Hef did. So armed with that knowledge, in the second episode of the show, he surprises them on camera by telling them he's finally going to be putting them in the magazine. Bridgie? Yeah? I want you guys to come upstairs for just a minute. Okay. Seriously, that We're busted. I'm going to see you up. You're going to come upstairs for a minute. Okay. Yeah. Hi, honey. Just weird thoughts. Just like, oh my God, what is it going to be? Is he? Are we in trouble? Am I in trouble? Did I do something wrong? Panda, be quiet, mommy. So he brought us all in, and he goes. Okay. No. I can't promise it. Wait a second. What? I don't know. I'm going to shoot a cover, <gasps> and I'm going to put you in the magazine. Okay. God, finally. <laughs> oh my god. And everybody was so excited, so I screamed in my dog's ear. It's a really exciting thing. It's a really cool opportunity, and it was something we were all wondering if we'd get a chance to do. Getting in Playboy is one of the things I've always wanted my whole life. I, I was speechless. I couldn't even say anything. Excited. So excited. By this point, Holly and Bridget had long given up hope this day would ever come. It was humiliating for Holly because every other main girlfriend Hef had through the decades had been in the magazine, many of them on the cover. Hef put a stop to it once Holly came around when he realized that there was a pattern of his girlfriends leaving him once they got their pictorial. But now with the success of the show, he had enough incentive to put them in. He'd get to look like the nice guy who made people's dreams come true— magazine sales would go up, and the girls were less likely to leave him since being on the show required that they live at the mansion. Hef never discussed the rate that they'd get for being in the magazine, but they'd soon find out they'd be paid the same amount as any other amateur model, $25,000. Reality show stars appearing in the magazine at that time were getting 40 to 50k, and celebrities like Denise Richards could rake in up to a million. The fact that they were valued at the same rate as any other girl who fell off the turnip truck was particularly insulting, considering they weren't even getting paid to do the show they were starring in. You'd expect this kind of unfairness from Hef, but it's shocking that the network would allow something so unethical. Once, when it was brought up, one producer rationalized to Holly that they were getting free room and board, so it all evened out. Later, in a meeting with an executive and the girls, Kendra mustered up the courage to push back, albeit meekly, asking, Shouldn't we, like, be getting paid for this? To which they coldly replied, You are replaceable. This was a sentiment that the women had been reminded of throughout their time at the mansion that eventually, we'll see, turns out to be untrue. With each passing episode of that first season, the ratings continued to rise, but despite the popularity of the show, they were still judged and ridiculed just as they feared would happen. Though there were plenty of viewers who earnestly loved and identified with the girls, Holly, Bridget, and Kendra were still regularly cyberbullied on MySpace. It was also sometimes difficult to find advertisers for the show, even though they were regularly pulling in 1.5 million viewers per episode. Okay, so when we were on E, there was this association called the Florida Family Association. 
and they were so anti our show because I guess, cause it was like sexy or whatever that they would like harass all the people who advertised on E. They would do like all kinds of weird, crazy things to get them to back out of advertising on the show. And for years, you know, we always had that held over our heads like on Girls Next Door and later on our spinoffs. E was always like, well, you know, you guys get the best ratings, but we have this advertiser problem. Like nobody wants to advertise. So that was always a thing. And I think it's interesting because I feel like all the backlash at the time came from like, nudity or sexuality it was never like the reasons i would look at this show and say this is wrong now like it was never about grooming or are these women okay or what's the deal here it wasn't that it was just like straight up prudy like non-nudity type stuff the mixed reaction didn't detract from the fact that E! had a huge hit on their hands, and within a couple of months of the season one finale, they had a full order for season two. Their sophomore season ushered in a new and much improved era in life at the mansion for the girls. The show premiered with a three-year ratings high for E!, and the girls were now bona fide stars themselves. It's an unexplainable experience on how many lives we've affected and how people look up to us as role models. It used to be, oh, Hef and some blonde beauties or whatever, and now it's like Hef, Holly, Bridget, and Kendra. People know who we are, and we're not just a blonde chick. We're people now. Now that Hef had a new surge of relevance in the zeitgeist, he no longer felt the need to do twice-weekly club nights, and with the club nights gone, the bedroom routine went with it. The girls were finally being paid for being on the show, which meant they could really make some progress on saving money for their futures, instead of just skimming off the top of their clothing allowances. And now that Hef had to maintain an image as a rich man who created a dream life for his three girlfriends, the girls finally had the opportunity to travel, as long as it was caught on camera for the show, of course. Circumstances didn't do a complete 180, though. The three of them still had to stick to their curfew, and on rare occasions when the rules were allowed to bend a bit, it was only ever in service of filming. They were also delivered another blow to their sense of control over their own lives and bodies. While watching a screening of the show, they were surprised to find that in scenes where they'd been shown changing or posing nude for the magazine, their nudity wasn't blurred as they had once been led to believe it would be. At the beginning of the filming of season one, the cameramen found artful ways to hide their tits and bits, but by the second order of episodes, someone realized that on DVDs and in foreign markets, they could show the nudity, and from then on, they tried to catch as much full frontal as possible, and never bothered asking the girls if they were okay with it. The conversation around consent was woefully underdeveloped at this point in American culture, and everyone involved in the decision surely thought that if a woman consents to show her body in Playboy, then she's de facto consenting to any other nudity or display of sexuality in perpetuity. That certainly seems to be Heff's view surrounding consent, as Holly discusses in another part of her interview with Tara Palmieri. When... Girls would go out with Hef in the limo and in the nightclub and come back to his room after. He was constantly taking photos of these women on his disposable camera. And these women were almost always intoxicated. I know I was heavily intoxicated. They wouldn't just be his regular girlfriends. They would be 
new girls who were joining him for a night for the first time or women who had flown out from across the country to test for a centerfold in, you know, allegedly professional conditions. (laughs) And they'd be invited out and oftentimes would be, like, pressured, not necessarily directly by him. He would have some of his girlfriends do it too, pressure them to come upstairs. Anyway, he was constantly taking all these pictures, and he would make copies of all the pictures and hand them out to everyone who'd gone out that night. So if you were messed up, and if you were in his bathtub with your top off, and some other girl is, like, doing some sexually explicit pose on you, and he took a picture of that on his disposable camera, he'd make a copy and give it to everyone that night and put it in his scrapbook. And it's kind of a feeling of like revenge porn before I even knew what revenge porn was. It's like you're taking these pictures. They're not consensual because you're so wasted. And the next morning you find out they've been given out to everybody who was out with you. Like, I don't know if he just assumed that was okay because, oh, all these women want to be in the magazine so bad, so they must be okay with getting naked, so I'm going to take pictures while they're wasted and just hand those pictures out. Like, that's the kind of thing that can make you feel kind of stuck in a situation or over-invested in it. Like, it's one of those things that makes you feel a little more backed into a corner. The girls would just have to roll with the new audition of nudity because if they didn't like it, they were reminded that producers could easily find another girl who did. The show was huge, but that didn't make them special. It was all thanks to Hef, objectively handsome Hef, an 80-year-old man with the kind of charm and personality that 11- to 17-year-old girls simply cannot get enough of. These viewers wouldn't notice if they replaced one of the girls with a blonde wig, sitting on a pair of implants, sitting on a skateboard, tied to a jump rope that Brian holds as he wheels around in front of the camera. They were replaceable. Though that threat was making less and less sense, now that they were beginning to film season three and the girls had become household names. Season three marked a new chapter in the relationship between the girls. Kendra had been at the mansion for a few years now, so she was no longer a novelty to Hef, and he wasn't going out of his way to love bomb her at the expense of Holly. Kendra wasn't safe from Hef's manipulations and criticism, which had leveled the playing field a bit between the three of them. And now they had something in common besides Hef. Together they'd experienced overnight stardom. They'd sat together through hours of magazine signings and press and photo shoots. They all traveled to Europe for the very first time and discovered a shared love of sightseeing and experiencing new places. Our girls were finally passing the Bechdel test. No one but Holly, Bridget, and Kendra understood what it took to get to this place, or what they were going through at that moment. They were young women with fame and success, yet they still had a curfew and very little agency. Even though they were the titular girls of the girls next door, no one behind those mansion gates truly had their best interests in mind. It was them against Hef's world, so they'd have to stick together. At least for now. Join us next time, won't you, for the final storytelling episode and recap bonus episodes of Season 5. Lay Do You Remember This is researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Dara Lane. If you aren't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave a rating and review. 
You can follow updates on the pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, stream our early 2000s Spotify and Apple Music playlists, and download some Ledoux-inspired coloring book pages. You'll find those links on the show's Instagram. And please, if you like the podcast, share it. Tell your friends. It's true what they say. It takes a village to make me famous. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions, please email this at gmail.com. So, you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table, and I've put you on the list for Lay Do You Remember This.